Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today my guest is Captain Randall Davis. Uh, Randy is a member, and he has been in the first aid business for quite some time. I'll let him explain to you a little bit about his background. But before we bring Randy in, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral Level sponsors who support AGLCA and loopers at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. And I would like to, for the first time this morning, announce a brand new Admiral sponsor. Uh, Beneteau has joined us as an Admiral level sponsor, so thank you to Beneteau. With the business out of the way, I would like to introduce Captain Randall Davis. Randy, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I hope we can impart some knowledge and information for folks today. Yes, and AGLCA tries to focus on specific topics every now and then, and for the month of September, we're really trying to get as much information out about safety aboard as we can. And for those of you who are members and who have read the September issue of the Great Loop Link, Randy, of course, contributed an article to that. So we appreciate that. Um, but for those who maybe haven't read that or don't know too much about you yet, Randy, Let's start with your background, and, and I think that will quickly make it very clear why we've asked you to be a guest today. Well, nautically, I've been sailing for decades. I have a 41-foot sailboat at Kentucky Lake. Uh, I have my OUPV uh, Coast Guard license, captain and master's with a sailing endorsement. And as far as emergencies goes, uh, I was an emergency management director for decades for a small town, and I've been a instructor for the Federal Emergency Management Agency's National Emergency Training uh, Center in Emmitsburg, Maryland, in emergency management. And as far as medical goes, well, I've been a veteran paramedic, I like to say, instead of an old paramedic, for 37 years. <laughs> and I've been a, a paramedic and EMT uh, educator and education for community college, for private college, and ambulance and fire services uh, many different times. An instructor in uh, numerous nationally accredited advanced life support classes that I teach for physicians, nurses, paramedics, and EMTs. I'm a regional faculty for the American Heart Association, and I need oxygen now. <laughs> <laughs> but so obviously, uh, you know, great credentials. Um, Randy had reached out to us uh, a while back, um, offering his expertise in these areas. So we thought this was a great time to bring him onto Great Loop Radio, and we're going to focus today because um, there are many things related to safety and health aboard that I'm sure Randy could help us out with, but we're going to focus today mostly on handling emergency situations and first aid aboard. So let's start with the basics of handling an emergency. What are the best things to remember and, and what to do and not to do in an emergency situation? Well, first of all, the not to do is not to panic. And so calm is the most, I, I believe, is the most important thing. And everybody always says that easy way to stay calm is simply take a deep breath before you decide to do something and that actually reduces your heart rate and blood pressure and allows you to think more clearly. The other item is just like in real estate, location, location, location is so important. You need to know where you are all the time and you need to be aware of any dangers or hazards that may be in the vicinity. So Randy, and you have some suggestions, you know, being aware of where you are at all times seems pretty simple, but 
when you're cruising down a river, it may not be as simple as it would be if you're, you know, for example, on a street and there are street signs available. So give us some tips on how we can make ourselves more aware of where we are and, you know, what kind of information we should be giving to the emergency services if we need to contact them. Well, first of all, the most important thing is to get in the habit of being where you are all the time, whether you're in a movie theater and you know where the exits are, whether you're driving down the road, as you mentioned, and keeping an eye out for mile markers, signs, intersections, names of towns, that sort of thing. Same way when you're on a river or in, in the ocean. Use the resources that are around you. Look for landmarks that are around you. Get in the habit of looking for those things all the time. Even mention them to yourself. The other thing is if allows you to kind of see what's going on around you and then play the theme and I think that's so important as well for the type of cruising that loopers do you know of course the Coast Guard is often a first responder um, when you're far from shore or even near shore but on some of the inland rivers and things uh, and and this is where you can certainly offer the best experience Randy but I would imagine if if, um, a health crisis happens aboard and you're going to need the paramedics there when you get to a dock or boat ramp or whatever it might be, probably the services you're contacting aren't as familiar with locating people on the water as the Coast Guard might be. So I would imagine you need to be keeping an eye on your charts and what's around you to just be able to direct them to where you're headed to take care of that emergency. Any suggestions about that? Sure, absolutely. Always plan your day when you're getting ready to go somewhere. Know what things are along the way that you can mention as useful landmarks or uh, identifiers as to where you may be. And of course, file a float plan. I'm looking at my phone right now at an app, the, the Coast Guard, the Coast Guard app, and they have a place for you to make a float plan and then email it to at least three different people and make one for each day because you have changes. You may not The weather may change what you're doing. You may enjoy where you're at and want to stay a couple of days. So when you make those changes, change your float plan and send that out too. So being aware of where you're going even ahead of time and planning your day is all part of the planning process, including planning what you do if there is an emergency. Okay, so um, location, 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 and remaining calm are two of the tips. Any other emergency basics, things to remember in an emergency situation that you want to add to that? Sure. That is always have a um, sort of a plan that you give to your folks that are going to be on board, your crew, and that they know what their jobs are that they're going to be doing in the event of emergency and know how to handle any of the emergency equipment, such as uh, signaling devices, man overboard devices, any uh, fire extinguishers, those kind of things, and be aware of those and how to operate those and where all uh, personal flotation devices are available. Now, in the the Great Loop Link issue that I mentioned earlier, you talked about the steps to follow if you're coming to someone else's aid. Do you have any suggestions that might differ on that if, you know, perhaps you're a solo looper because we are seeing more and more solo loopers, or if um, it's your boat and your own crew in distress and maybe it's not a big crew, you know, maybe you're part of a couple. Um, Any tips for if you're a little bit more alone than maybe you'd like to be when a situation like that occurs? Sure. Well, the first tip is don't be alone. <laughs> that would be right. my go, go, in a, go in a group, and if there's mm-hmm. folks that are getting together, of course, you can check with the Great Loop um, uh, website. You can check with the, uh, the uh, I can't even think of the, the, the 
items that you guys send out where people get to say where they're going and that kind of thing all the time. Right. Then you, mm-hmm. being a group when, when you are, it's much better than being just alone, especially if you're going from point A to point B. Of course, file that float plan. That's huge. And be prepared. Have what you identify in some sort of pre-planning that you do, especially part of your float plan. Be aware of what might be happening or what could happen to you. Think of all the crazy things that can happen. Sit down one day and make a game of it. And then plan what you would do in the, in the event that would happen. And then go get the training. Be able to take care of yourself. Take uh, uh, classes in mechanical issues. Take classes in survival issues. Uh, medical uh, medical uh, classes such as first aid and CPR. And get the skills and the tools and the supplies. You might even want to just make sure you read through uh, Chapman's piloting. There's very good information in there what to do in an emergency. Right. Well, I think it's one of the things that attracts so many to the Great Loop is it really is a you're never really far from ha- having help if you need it because it's not an ocean crossing. You know, you're always fairly close to land, but it's also a group of people who are mainly retirees, and we all tend to have our health issues as we age. So we certainly want people, and, and I think you're absolutely right, Right, it's kind of instinctive for people to get training on how to take care of the boat if they don't know how. But I think many of us uh, still tend to think we're invincible and we're go- going to be fine, but there are health issues that can come up aboard. So talk about what the most common emergencies aboard from a health perspective tend to be. And if there's ways to prevent them, and if we can't prevent them, how do we handle them when they happen? Well, of course, the common emergencies include medical, but we'll be talking about that a little later when we get into first aid. But, of course, Mm -hmm. then there's the mechanical issues that can happen that we just talked about. So get some training. There's all kinds of classes and lots of different places put on about doing the tra- uh, getting training. Uh, you can even check yourself online with YouTube and see how to replace a filter or, or get the water out of your diesel fuel, that sort of thing. And then have supplies available, extra things like, oh, and um, extra impellers and fan belts, that kind of stuff. Make sure you have redundant supplies. Uh, fire or uh, carbon monoxide poisoning is, is a big issue when it comes to boating. And so make sure you have detectors and make sure you have fire extinguishers and make sure, again, as part of your planning, that at least once a year you check those to make sure that they're operational, they have their batteries, or that they are at a high enough charge that they're going to be able to to work for you. And then, of course, another big emergency is man overboard. First of all, best prevention for that is to obviously have your personal flotation device in case it does happen, but to have tethers if it's going to be bad weather and that sort of thing. Or if you're up on deck alone, make sure you're tethered off somewhere so that you don't go overboard and leave the boat or the boat leaves you. And then, of course, weather emergencies are always out there. And getting, again, information ahead of time, training and skills on how to kind of look at the weather. You know, red sunset at night is a sailor's delight, but red sunrise in morning, the sailors take morning. Find out why that's true. And, of course, have weather video type systems on board. And know ahead of time where you are. When you're looking at that chart, figure out what your count, what county you're in. For example, if you're dialing 911 and you get a tower that's located in one county, you'll get their 911 system, not perhaps the county that you're in. So again, that being aware of where you are will help you out with that, with any kind of emergency when you're calling. And that's one of the reasons that I actually um, like to have the big view of the paper charts in addition to the electronic charts that people are using. But it also can be really helpful um, 
I like to keep an eye on some of the mapping apps on my phone while we're cruising to get a better idea of where we are, um, not from a water perspective necessarily, but just from a basic geography perspective. So that's also something to keep in mind. We are going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, let's kind of turn the conversation more towards first aid um, and make sure that everybody's got their first aid kit prepared and know has, knows how to handle those common first aid needs on the water. We'll be back in a moment. Green Turtle Bay Marina and Resort has consistently been voted a must-stop by loopers. It has earned the coveted five-anchor designation from Quimby's Cruising Guide. This full-service marina features over 450 slips. They are located at mile marker 31.5 on the scenic Cumberland River. Green Turtle Bay is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA, so join them and find your waterway of life. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Captain Randy Davis, and he is helping us to be better prepared to handle emergencies aboard. Randy, let's talk about first aid now. What should be in a first aid kit for a typical looper boat, if there is such a thing these days? Um, you know, what are some of the common accidents or injuries that we need to be prepared for? Well, first of all, speaking of first aid, I've taught first aid and CPR courses at your sponsor, Green Turtle Bay, many, many times. Wonderful. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that their staff is very well trained. At least I think they are. But mm -hmm. let's talk about the first aid kit. You know, first I have a first aid kit in my pocket right now. I actually have gloves in my pocket at all times that I can protect myself with. And I have a little pocket mask on my keychain that I can give mouth-to-mouth -mouth or mouth-to-mask respirations that I need to. And I've got a couple of handkerchiefs in my pocket that I can use to control bleeding. So that's a first aid kit, if you will. Very, very mm -hmm. minor one. But let's talk about what a first aid kit should be as far as what uh, the device you're putting in, the item that you're putting it in. And you need to have it in something waterproof, something that's organized, something big enough to hold the items that you have. And again, a first aid kit can be as small as something that goes in your pocket or as huge and as extensive as you could possibly need. It needs to be ready to take care of minor illness and injury and also some of the major things that go on. So let's talk about some of those. Um, let's talk about um, environmental injury. Um, environmental injuries, if they're cold, you warm them up. That's pretty simple. <laughs> if, if they're too hot, down. that's pretty simple too. So if you have the, the first aid kit, what would you have in there for those kinds of things? Well, cold packs, for example, would be very handy. Or a space blanket would be very good for somebody that's cold. And how about for, uh, you were saying just first aid kit. Right, yeah. Um, yes, so those are great suggestions for kind of environmental issues. Um, what other types of, of issues are you potentially going to see aboard, or what are some of the most common things that you would need first aid for, and what do we need to be prepared to do? Sure. Well, of course, then we did the cold and the heat, the environmental. Uh, drowning, obviously, you need to know CPR. And don't forget that the, in the article we had on uh, Great Loop Link is that uh, in CPR, you also need to know to be uh, aware of the rescue safety at first. So that's, I need to put that before anything else. Make sure you're safe before you start working on someone else. And then for CPR, a good thing to have is ATDs. 
are automatic external defibrillators. They have been as little as $1,100. You can get them online. That's the item that shocks and hopefully brings it back a normal rhythm of the heart. When you're out and about real far away from help, if you can shock someone and, and put them at the rest within the first four minutes of arrest, their chance of survival increases by 25%. And you have to remember, if you're out on the water, you're very far away from advanced life support help that can shock you. Uh, of course, to prevent drowning, you know, we went over that with a man overboard drill type of thing, and wear your PFDs at all times. Uh, CO poisoning or carbon monoxide poisoning, really big, especially if you're an anchor and you're running your generator your bed detectors are charged and if somebody does start having symptoms of that nausea headache uh, bright red skin you need to get them to air and get help right away another one that i think about is trauma of course and trauma can be anywhere from a, a fish hook in your finger to bleeding and cuts so you need to know how to take care of bleeding control you need to be able to do splinting. My favorite splint in the whole world is simply a pillow that you put around whatever you think is broken. And, of course, for someone who's conscious, you want to be able to control their airway and make sure that you keep it clear of any kind of secretions. If somebody's having a heart attack, which, of course, the signs and symptoms of that are anything like chest pain, shortness of breath, weakness, then you would give them aspirin. And it's real aspirin, not Tylenols, not your Advil's but real aspirin, and you give about two to four baby aspirin and let them chew that up, and of course you need help with them right away. The sooner they can get to a definitive center, the less the heart attack is going to be the problem. And then for a stroke, and that would be somebody you need. Uh, you've seen the things about stroke with uh, no facts. It stands for face, arms, teeth, and time. I add the word B and B stands for balance. Someone with a little and for eyes, they're having visual disturbances, or they have a problem with the drooping. They can't put arms up and down or leave them up, or their speech is garbled or not at all. And you need to know the time it begins, and they need to get them to a definitive center right away. That's a big deal on the water. You were mentioning a lot of us are aging, and stroke has a higher possibility as we age. However, in stroke, please never ever give them uh, aspirin. For people in trauma, too, or someone with a problem, a neat thing to have in your first aid kit is a turkey baster, believe it or not, and you can use it as a suction to clear their airway out. And other items in the first aid kit, we'll talk about those in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I do, I do want to share, um, because we, we never like to scare anyone, but the heart attack possibility is very real for many of us. And Randy's suggestion for the AED is a good one and really should be considered. Um, the price tag of $1,100 is certainly less than they had been for a while, uh, but still a, a pretty good amount for most of us. But if you consider what you are spending on the loop, um, and, and I, I do want to share that one of our members actually did go into cardiac arrest at our fall rendezvous, which if you've been to the fall rendezvous, you know it's a pretty remote area, um, aboard his boat with, with just his wife. And it, it was other loopers with some training, but also a boat nearby that had an AED aboard uh, that really saved his life. So um, I, I would love to start seeing more and more boats out there with AEDs aboard. So something certainly to consider. Um, Randy, you know, I think anytime you feel like you're not able to, to render the appropriate first aid, probably professional assistance needs to be called. But do you have any tips for us, you know, to know if we're, we're really not sure 
when should we seek professional assistance for first aid or for a medical emergency, and when should we um, continue to handle the problem ourselves? Sure. For anyone who's unconscious, even if it's occurred briefly, that ain't normal. And so you're going to mm-hmm. need to call for, for there. And, of course, someone who's unconscious cannot maintain their own airway. Their tongue falls to the back of their throat. The easiest way to take their, care of that is to lift the chin. Here's my little memory thing for that, a Randy rule, if you will. It's If you don't lift the chin, the air can't go in. So always know you just simply lift the chin on someone who's unconscious. And you can roll them to one side if they have no other injuries, and that'll help their chin simply fall down and their tongue will be open and any secretions can flow out. The other thing is uncontrolled bleeding. So you put the dressing on and the dressing gets red, you put another dressing on and the dressing gets red, that's uncontrolled bleeding. You need help for that. Any bleeding that's squirting across the room, that's an arterial bleeding. You, you need help for that, too. Uh, anybody with chest pain, anyone with chest pain or set of any kind of weakness, uh, pale, sweaty skin, that they shouldn't be sweaty because it's cool weather, for example, then you need help because that's a good sign that they're having some sort of cardiac issue going on. Someone who's having a seizure, and especially if it's a seizure for the first time or one that doesn't stop in just a couple of minutes, you need help for them because there's something going on that's causing the brain to do that. And each, speaking of brain, any change in what we call your neural or your neurological status. So if there's a change in behavior for no reason, you haven't had too many painkillers recently, uh, and if somebody is very lethargic or sleepy when they shouldn't be, or if someone is very restless and anxious, that's a, ch- a sign of a change in their neurological status, and you need help for that too. Anytime someone has any severe hypothermia or severe hypothermia, in other words, way too cold and way too hot, you need help for that too. Any burns that cause bubbles on the skin, that would be a second-degree burn, and especially if they're to the face, the genitalia, to the hands or the feet, or they have soot, kind of a, a dark substance inside their mouth or their nose, you definitely need help for them because what could happen, they could have inhaled hot air and that could cause their swelling to their, uh, actually to their airway, to their throat. So obviously mild sunburns are an exception to having to come for help with that. But mm-hmm. a child, an elderly person can't tolerate very much uh, problems at all. So someone who has a severe problem that's a child or an elderly person, you need to call for help. Anytime someone is becoming dehydrated, especially with uh, severe diarrhea, vomiting, uh, you need help. So you don't ask anyone who's severely dehydrated. The one way to tell you need help is if their urine is very dark. We like to say you don't want to see tea in pee. And anyone that's dizzy and that doesn't that doesn't go away from the lying down, you need help. Um, severe pain, especially in the abdomen, you need help. Uh, anyone having diabetic, if they're too thirsty, it means their blood their blood sugar is usually too high. If they're very hungry, it usually means their blood sugar is way too low. And if a person's condition doesn't improve, even with you giving them some sort of help or first aid, then and if you're unsure, you need to call for help. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> that is a lot, but those, there's some great tips in there that are going to be really helpful for everyone, I think. Um, it's hard to do much more in this kind of uh setting that we have, you know, about 30 minutes and it's all audio, so there's no visual to go with this. So it's hard to do more than just kind of scratch the surface in, for this podcast. So 
Um, hopefully, you've inspired many to go out and get some more training so that they can remain safe on the water. Is there a good resource you can point us to if we want to go ahead and get some additional first aid or CPR training? Absolutely. Of course, absolutely. Of course, as an American Heart Association regional faculty, I'd recommend American Heart Association CPR and first aid classes. But of course, the American Red Cross also provides them. You might also check with your local community emergency services, police, fire, emergency medical services, or a local hospital for classes you can take. And if you're really inspired, you can check with the community college and even take an EMT class. Uh, an EMT is the, and an emergency medical responder, those are kind of like entry levels into being a paramedic. So you could take those classes, usually about one semester, once or twice an evening, and they'll give you even more information and skills and ability than what just a standard first aid class would do. That's great information too, Randy. Anything that I have neglected to ask about that you think is important to get across to loopers while we have a few minutes left? Sure. And what I usually tell people when I'm teaching classes, I end things up with this. There's a difference between being worried and being concerned. Being worried means you know things can happen and things do, and you have no idea what you're going to be able to do about it, which means you'll panic. And concern means you know that things can happen, and so you go get information and you learn what to do about them. I will tell you that making a plan is wonderful, and you really should. Some plans don't turn out like they should, but if you have the training and the knowledge and capability, you'll be calm and confident enough to be flexible and make changes when necessary when the plan doesn't work real well. Perfect. Randy, thank you for sharing all of this great information with us. We appreciate you joining us today. Happy to be back anytime and we can expand on things. Absolutely. For our listeners, just a reminder that we have our upcoming Great Loop Cruising, a Guide to the Looper Lifestyle Seminar taking place in Annapolis on um, November 16th and 17th. Registration is open for that on our website. Later on in September, we will have another podcast that covers more about safety, and we'll be focusing on life jackets and what to do if you find yourself overboard, so you can look for that later in September. Thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.